You're listening to Bedroom Beethoven's, where notable music makers break down stories accompanied by songs and melodies documenting growth through their 10,000-hour journey. And me? Well, my name is Cello, your host. I am a bedroom Beethoven. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the podcast. My guest this week is Mellow X. Future nigga shit, feel me? We out here. Brooklyn baby. By way of Jamaica. Yeah you know I mean. And I'm a producer, musician. I dip, dip and dabble, but my my dip and dabble game is very heavy. I've produced for, uh, if I just go off the top of my head, Jesse Boykins the Third, Beyonce, Ari Lennox. As far as remixes, I've remixed. I mean, I've done mad unofficial joints, so that's like endless. is a multimedia artist based between NYC and LA whose career spans over a 10-year period. Throughout this time, he has built a loyal global fan base that spans across many, many industries. He's released numerous official and unofficial music remixes, EPs, albums, and films. In 2015, of course, he wrote and produced Beyonce's platinum track, Sorry, which you hear in the background. Most recently, his work on Black is King is shining quite brightly. Okay, this is a starting to sound like a PR description. So let me just say it's rare to find someone who recognizes his purpose on earth and grabs on and takes full advantage of it through every single visual medium you can think of photography, design, music, DJing, and more. So I'm very, very honored to have him on. But before we get into things, my friends, could you please support the show by subscribing to the YouTube, throwing a buck or two on patreon.com slash bedroom Beethoven's, maybe even visit the website bedroombeethovens.com. It's the best way to deep dive into past episodes and get caught up on the content. With that out of the way, I appreciate your support, and please do enjoy this one-on-one conversation between me and Mellow X. He better call Becky with the good hair. Well, now, Malcolm Mello Mustafa X is dead. You're only Mello X right now. Oh, nah, nothing's ever dead. It's like, I'm the, I'm still, I'm that nigga right now. It's just, it's just the, you're still Moses. You're still, is, you're oh, still yeah, God. This is just the <laughs> elevated, you know, this is just the, like, update. You know, not even, this is version, whatever version I'm on right now. That's where I'm at. You know what I'm I feel like if Future didn't take that rap name, you would have scooped that up as well. I've been, I've always just been a Future nigga. I'm so I've always been on some Future like, 
even as a kid, like my first uh, project was called Educated Retro. Yeah, but to back up your, your point about being future, you signed up for Twitter back in 2008, so you recognize the value in these new technological platforms. I mean, even even Mellow XTV was ahead of its time. Yo, you know what's crazy, man? Uh, shout out to Atif, who did Mellow XTV with me. We did a lot of that. I was inspired by specifically, right? I was inspired by two artists. One was uh, Ryan Leslie at that time, as far as internet people, right? Ryan Leslie and Lady Gaga. Midnight at the glamour show on a Sunday night. Everybody drank a lot of whiskey and wine. With I got put on a Lady Gaga just being a mixy nigga downtown New York DJing. Before she was with Akon, you're talking about before she blew up. Yeah, just on some like I, this is club called. Damn, yo, I forgot the name of this club, yo. It's it's in the Lower East Side. It's like it's like a storefront thing, and you walk into the long hallway, and then the back is like the club. They will always have these different events, people performing, da da da. So I feel like I seen her there one time, but then I seen her on MySpace, and she used to do these like weekly MySpace things, you know? And at the, around the same time, Ryan Leslie was doing his thing where he would like just film himself. And that was around the time when me and Atif got put on to DLSR cameras that was able to take 4K video. We knew that the quality that we had was like the like top, like real good quality. And that was our inspiration, really. Like, yo, let's just start filming all the stuff we do in downtown, you know. And at that time, just seeing them, it was like, oh, yeah, this is like, I, I seen like, oh, yeah, like my own team, my own station, like my own universe, you know. I always been on that, on that vibe. And you're a, you're a bedroom Beethoven because of the Bermuda. Yeah, the Bermuda, um, that's East Flatbush, you know what I'm saying? That's uh, the crib where I grew up. Call it the Bermuda because mad shit would just get lost in there. Like, if you was in there, if you came through and you put your key down and you lost it, that shit, was a, it was a wrap. Like, I was going to find it, like, two months later, something under some, like, book or some shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, all the time. So, we just called it, like, the Bermuda. Like, shit just get lost in there. But also, for me, it was, like. I would just get lost in that world. So when you're when you're in New York, did your family ever like try to pull you down to Atlanta? Like, come, you know, come live with us, be closer to us. Growing up, majority of my immediate family was in Brooklyn and, and is in Brooklyn. So growing up, you know, I was around there a lot more within the last, I would say, 10 to 12 years is when a lot of my family moved to Atlanta. Uh, I did have a lot of family in Florida as well. But they have moved to Atlanta too. So, so yeah, I visit there. I, I haven't been there in a while, but I I, I was visiting there, um, not frequently, but as much as I could. Yeah. Now you're you know you're basically a family man now. You know I, I know you want the security, love, and safety that family brings, but you also kind of crave the self involved hedonism of following your passion and life on the road. You know you want everything. You're an adult, but you have to accept compromise at the same time. Yeah, you know, compromise is key, um, but also sanity is key for me right now. <clears throat> like, even with my son, I want him to be around family as well, but I know that I want him to be around family as safe as possible, you know? And um, 
So right now it's like, all right, it's, it's just time to get all the kinks out of the way, you know, and just perfect myself, my craft, everything. So that when it's time, we can, we could travel safely and really be all, all together in, in one place and shit. But for now it's like, yo, it's time to buckle down and get, you know, get focused, you know, um, this time right now has just been able to be like a reset, big reset for people, either people reset or people, you know, going back into their own shit. But for me, I just been like really resetting and, and unlearning and relearning, unlearning and gathering new data and shit. You know what I mean? So that's really been preparing me for like, and I've been in more contact with my family now more so than when we were able to travel, you know, just because of how much of a hermit I am. If you can at least kick back and pour a glass of sweet bitch wine, no stress, <laughs> stay safe. That's that's what it's about, you know. Oh yeah, now the sweet bitch. You know, I haven't had that wine in so <laughs> long. Yeah, that was like sweet bitch was just like my. I used to just channel. I, I was a lot of that was like sweet bitch and then freestyling, and then I just record the freestyle and then write it. Or just whatever the freestyle was like, all right, that's the song. You know what I'm saying? But like a lot of it was written just on some deep meditation. And then like I wasn't even smoking at that time. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? Man, send me, send me a oh. P.O. box. I'll send you a case of uh, a case of wine, man. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'll be fine with it. <laughs> so uh, you were talking about, you know, writing freestyles and all that. In high school, you were actually creating mixtapes for the teachers. Like what, what kind of music was in it? So at that time, mixtape shit was popping. You know, and, and mixtape radio was popping. So you had DJ Clue on Monday, Hot 97. This is a Desert Storm. Desert Storm. Radio exclusive. Luminati! You had uh, K-Slay. Yo, it was DJ K-Slay, the drama king, in the building with the God, represent for the culture, man. It's time. Let's go. But in any case, we just devised our own on some future nigga shit, like our own way of getting all the songs that they would play that were exclusive. So when they played exclusive, they would they would play like, let's say they had a, I don't know, like a Prince exclusive, right? <laughs> so it would be like Prince, you hear the guitar, then you hear like, clue, clue, clue. You know what I'm saying? Or you hear like, K-Slay, or whatever they drop was throughout the track. But all of them would like get the exclusive track in the same week, right? So they would all play it, and put their drops in different places. So we devised a scheme. Like, we recorded all the shows and just, like, put all the songs on top, like, stacked them on top and cut out where each of them... That's how I learned how to really mm -hmm. uh, edit audio and, like, you know, um, sound design shit. Because it's like, we're taking a radio show from from this time, this frequency, from this one, and then putting them together so that we could get a clean version of the song because we're chopping out where everyone spoke. So we get a clean version, right? Sometimes the chorus wouldn't be clean. So I would have to be like, all right, let me just double up the first chorus and da da da, like lear really learning how to engineer, you know, and shit like that. But in any case, we would have all these exclusives and we had like, but then we would have like homies in the hood, like, one of our friends freestyle or their songs put it on there or some of my songs put it on there. And we were kinda in the hood just in competition with the other DJ. You know, I would hit up all the bootleg guys on Church Ave, all the bootleg niggas on Church Ave, like, yo, 
mixtape, man. You know, at first it was a fuck with, then I had to like wholesale. That's how I learned about wholesaling. All right, so I gotta, you know, I would print, I would wake, I would wake, I would stay up all night and print the covers of each like a hundred, like fifty CDs or whatever. Then wake up, go to school, and just sell them. Like teachers was buying it, I had guards buying it. I would have, I would do this thing where it was like. You could get a deal. It was like you get chips and you get soda and you get uh something else with the mixtape. And motherfuckers is lining up like oof, oof. You're selling happy meals basically, just food with a with a toy. <laughs> yeah, but it was like I I just seen the power of doing something different. You know, I just seen the power of like doing just doing what came to me naturally doing what that gut instinct is following that gut instinct just that thing that was like yo do this like not being scared of that voice is being like yeah yo you know what i mean knowing that that's my end that's like what i really want to do and not because it might not be the most lit shit or whatever or the process takes long whatever just knowing like nah this is what i gotta do like in school that's what i had like we had mad mixtapes bro like then we started doing shirts like you know what I'm saying? We was, we was, and then, like, this is how it got lit. So I, so our mixtapes was so lit that we had them in Beat Street. Now I don't know if you know New York, but Beat Street was like on Fulton. That was the main record shop for vinyl and just new shit. Like motherfuckers. All if you look up Beat Street, you'll see mad artists that did like in stores there and shit. You know what I'm saying? So we had our mixtapes in there, and some of the DJs was like, "Yo, who is who is these? Who is this DJ with these exclusives? Like, yeah, you know because I mean? some of them might get them because they know the artist. Some of them had to pay for those things. You know what I'm saying? And we just got everything they got plus whatever you know the homies on there. Like, Yo, what is this? So some of the DJs we started, you know, uh, just getting cool with uh, uh, and trading exclusives. So at one point, some of our exclusives was on these different mixtapes. We could hear it because our we would we would record the shows onto uh, tape. Like I had a super high quality tape recorder and for for uh, cassette tape, and we would record it on that. So I could hear the quality of the exclusive we did versus like the actual quality. So we would be able to hear. Oh no, that's our version of that song on that mixtape. Like oh, like one of our mixtape, one mixtape that had like mad of our joints on. It was on like MTV mixtape Mondays and shit. It was like hype. Like yo, but you, but you fell in love with being an MC first. But your your name and your fame rose the ranks by being a DJ. Was that frustrating? Not at all. Because when I for at, I would say at first the first first thing that that I messed with was poetry I would say which was just like writing you know little things or like you know them little songs that you got in the hood like everybody like every hood got their own little you know the songs I can't even think of any of them right now but just like them little like playground rhymes you know and I would just remix I would like add my own little thing to those that was my first inclination to like doing something like that then one day, me and my friend was just like, yo, we're going to be rappers. And then he went inside. I went inside. I think the first rap I, I wrote, I was taking a shit. I was like, Sh-sh-sh-sh. then he came back. It was like, yo, here's my rap. And it was like, I right, we rapping now. You know, because I was a guy. I was like always beatboxing when everybody rap. You know what I mean? And then I would rap as well. So it was like, 
I rapped and made beats. I was rapping and thinking about, you know, the production aspect at the same time, I would say. But I started producing because I would get beats and, you know, I would pay for beats. I would, I would get beats in the hood. And then one time I went to his producer crib that on an off day with one of my fr- with another homie who was going there and he was playing beats for him that I ain't hear. I was like, yo, these beats is fire. And I'm like, yo, why you ain't playing with these? Like, yo, nah, these ain't for you. Like, I mean, nice <laughs> enough. Yeah, like, chill. I'm like, oh, word. I'm making my own beats, yeah. So I got like, uh, I went to Radio Shack. I got some key. I had a laptop, but I didn't know about making beats on, on a laptop. Yeah, I only had this app called Acoustica, which is what we used to use to edit the music and like record, but it wasn't a beat making thing. It was just for like recording songs. It's funny. It's like a lot of people get introduced to you by the different disciplines that you do. Mine, I remember you uh, from Mustafa's Renaissance. You did a photo shoot with a topless model. And I was like, that's pretty risque at the time. Like this dude's a visionary. And then that's when I started to pay attention. It's kind of funny. We were just at that time and the jewelry in that was from uh, my friend Solon Dynasty. And at that time, we were just in this phase of just being like our full nigga self. Like, yo, we just, like, we just black as shit. You know what I'm Like, we really in it. Like, yo, we just expressing all the sh- or everything that we love. Like, we expressing it, you know? So, um, for me, like with Mustafa Renaissance, when I did the cover of it, I just had the cover had all the different elements of me because it's like people call me a, a Renaissance man or whatever, you know. And I didn't really know what that meant at first. I had to look. I'm like, okay, somebody who like dip dabble into mashing, just like an expert in man, whatever or whatever it says. I'm like, all right, cool. So the cover was like, you know, I had the Rubik's cube, I had like drum machines, I had my guitar, I had the cameras I was using at the time. I had, you know, the records you know what i'm saying i had uh you know magazines vinyl you know things like that and in the video we just wanted to capture what the music felt sound like and what i was expressing which was just like love you know what i'm saying and for us is like i'm who i am i'm where i'm from like we expressing it like this you know what i'm saying and expressing it in a way that's beautiful it wasn't all some lusty it was like we capturing this shit a one, you know what I'm saying? And you caught Aviva Klein really early in her career too, because she. Oh yeah, Aviva, like she, she killed, killed, killed that, yo. I caught a lot of people, like even Soul and Dynasty, they have a a brand called Let Enchanter, and we just worked on the Blackest King project together. Um, they did a lot of the the jewelry pieces for it. Yeah, I know Aviva. She went on to work with Beyonce. Yeah, her as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she photographed Janelle Monet, Questlove, Usher, and then uh, it's like seven years ago she was sending out emails about once a month updating her former clients and people she hoped to work with in the future. Mm-hmm. She got his publicist on her list, and one day the publicist responded to one of those emails. So you know, moral of the story is: do you never know who's watching? That's the morals. Like, do you, yo? It's the bedroom Beethoven podcast. Does your love of anime know no bounds? Is your truest form in front of a screen bewildered and excited as muscle-bound high schoolers shoot lasers and magical girls fly on angel wings? Then you must be brimming with that unbeatable anime protagonist energy, and the only place that you can let it all out is Funimation. 
Thanks to their massive library filled with hundreds of subs and dubs, when a series finale leaves you heartbroken, you can start the process all over with a new show. You know, back in the day, anime fans eagerly longed for the latest episodes while Japan was already full seasons ahead. That sucked. But those days are long gone. Because Funimation has episodes available to stream the same day they air in Japan and dubbed within two weeks. With a Funimation subscription, you also gain access to members-only content and shop exclusives. Meaning you can finally reach the peak of your fandom power. Watch now on Funimation.com and get two weeks for free. And with over 13,000 hours of anime, the binge never has to end. That's Funimation.com. No. Which is, it was crazy because when I emailed you, you you kind of knew who I was already, which blew my mind. I had no idea that someone like Charles Hamilton was on your radar, you know? Oh, nah. Like, Charles, Charles Hamilton is fire, man. Like, I first got put on to him at a open mic uh, that I used to go to. I used to DJ at as well called Training Camp. And um, it was in the low east side of a club called Club Pyramid. and he was there and he would do these he would do his songs and freestyle his but when he would freestyle and we were had and you know they would have battles and certain things like it he was just on a different level and it was always like yo this nigga's crazy you know so when he started getting lit and getting that recognition you know some people might have thought it was out of nowhere it was like industry playing all I'm like nah I see this nigga at a spot every week. When you recognize an artist like that, when you do uh, Amy Winehouse, Raphael Shadik, Maxwell, you hear a project, it inspires you, and you think, oh, I can remix this. Uh, a few things come to mind for me. One, when you say, oh, I can remix this, are you saying, oh, I can do better? And, like, for instance, Maxwell hears this, he too will think it's better, and on his next album, I'll get a placement because he re- he will recognize the flips that I've done to his material. Or are these just like musical challenges that you undertake? If they hear it, they hear it. They compliment you, tweet it, praise it. That's just the cherry on top. Yeah, yo, I'll be honest. Is like <clears throat> my guy, Visionary Darry, who's uh, you know mentor, um, my first manager, and just uh, somebody who's with me from the jump. He always pushed me to think outside the box or just, you know, just like, oh, nah, you could do that shit better. Like, nah, you do that better, yo. Like, he always pushed me in that way, you know. So I, I always knew, like, nah, I could do something better, you know. I could I could do this X, Y, Z. So at the time, I would say this is around Jay Dilla put out, I don't even know, Welcome to Detroit, maybe, right? Um, And the way I got put on to him when I first started producing, I wanted to get drums, you know what I'm saying? So I listened to every CD I had, every rap CD, everything I had. And anytime I heard an empty kick or snare, like even, you know, early 2090s stuff, like I had older stuff, like 80s. So anything I had, like those older stuff, you would hear empty drums sometimes. So anytime there was an empty drum, I just took it. When I started taking drums from Buster's albums and taking drums from Tribe Called Quest albums, these certain drums, like, oh, these, these hit different. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And the ones that I really, that stuck out was like the JD, JD production, you know? Or when I did my research, I was like, oh, hey, this is the person who did this one. Oh, okay, this is, this, this is why I like the Janet joint, like this. Like, oh, okay, he did that. 
blah, 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 blah. So I'm learning about him as JD. So I heard, I, I feel like welcome to Detroit and just, I was in that mindset and then I feel like donuts came out. I didn't even know Jay Dill and JD is the same person. But then Jay Dill came out. I'm like, who the fuck is this? Like, yo, giving me the same energy where I'm not, you know, whatever. So around that time too, I was getting into um, just a lot of like, you know, when I first started producing, I, I, I was just kind of recreating stuff. So I find samples that other pe- other producers used and I would recreate it, you know? So that's how I kind of learned. Like I would take all these premier drums that I could find, find a sample he used and try to, and just recreate what he made. Around the time when that stuff started coming out, like MF Doom and all, and Mad Lib started getting into that. So that's when I myself started like getting into my own voice as a producer, my own thing, you know? <clears throat> and at that time... I was sampling stuff, but I had this vision, this idea of like just sampling stuff that came out now. I feel like um, Danger Mouse had came out with the Grey album where he uh, remixed the Black album with Beatles songs. That inspired me a lot too. I'm like, you know what I'm saying? So I I just want to do my own thing. Like, I I just want to do my own, whatever whatever I feel like, Touching them, just touch. I don't care, right? So, my boy Visionary Dari, he put me onto Amy Winehouse' first album, Frank. Wish I could say it breaks my heart like you did in the beginning. Right, and I was like, "Yo, this is fire!" You know what I'm saying? So she, I was, she was on my radar, and I'm like, you know, whatever. When she came out with Back to Black, it's like as soon as I heard it, it gave me that fit. That was around the time when people were dabbling into that realm. I made its own MySpace and put the songs in there and had a download link and all that. And the MySpace for it, it was called a Back to Black Remix Instrumental EP. I didn't even know what to name it yet. I'm just like, it's an instrumental remix idea EP thing or whatever. And it blew up on the myspace and i sent it to um mark ronson when i sent it to him on myspace he hit me back yo this is fire so that was the first time i was like oh i could create something in my bedroom that just comes to me it's like yo do this now and put it into this you know internet you know, music shit. Cause I, I didn't even want a MySpace. I hated it. And I didn't want a MySpace. I didn't want nothing. I was like, nah, my boy, one DJ, one way he made my first MySpace and put the music up and it was started to catch a wave. And he was like, yo, your MySpace is popping. You need to fuck with it. I'm like, yeah. And then that's when I got into like, oh, all right. So then when I did this, I was just like, oh, let me make a separate one. Boom. So it feels like it's his own thing. So when that blew up, you know what I mean? And I see like it's getting that reception. I think he, at that time he had a show called, uh, he had a show on East Village Radio and I feel like he played it on there. And I seen him downtown one time and he was like, yo, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Da, da, da. I played it for, uh, I feel like he said he played for Amy or he played for Salam or somebody like, yo, yo, they was fucking with it. Da, da. I'm like, all right, cool. You know, nothing never came of it from there, but he would play my music on his radio show after that. You know what I'm saying? Um, so. From there, it was just like, anytime I feel that energy, I'm just doing it. 
So when Rafael Sadiq put his album out, um, and I felt the energy, I was like, boop, I'm doing it. You know, when Maxwell album came out and I felt the energy, I was like, yep, doing it. Did it. You know, I put it out. I, I actually had his album like two weeks before it came out on some leak shit, on some like hacking shit. Like, yo, man, I'm getting this shit early. I had like a month, I ain't gonna lie, before it came out. And I had the remix done, everything. So I could have put it out before. And I'm just like, nope. That's mad disrespectful. Like, nope. I'm so su- I'm surprised you didn't you didn't tackle because your family's Jamaican. I'm surprised you didn't tackle um like in I think it was the early two thousands when Americans got their first injection of like Beanie Man, the dance hall inspired tracks. And it's and if you ask any Jamaican, they're gonna tell you, Oh, well, that's low hanging fruit. That's very mainstream. But you're in Hot Walk and Bass Gang in Europe with uh, Jasmine Solano, you're keeping the dance hall vibe alive while we're back in the US with Beanie Man and Sean Paul. You know, I'm really surprised that you could have just destroyed that. Let's say it's two thousand five and I'm like, you know, I'm doing open mics every night. I'm also DJing. Right. I'm also DJing at, at different spots, playing mad dance hall, mad old school, whatever. You know what I'm saying? I'm also in the studio at the crib working on stuff, but also in other people's studios. Like, you know, I was doing a lot, a lot of things. You know what I'm saying? So for me, I was able to be like, I, right, my super rapper energy and production energy. Ooh, that's going to go over here. My, my Caribbean, like that energy, that side of me, ah, that's going to go into these parties, these, this energy that I put into like when I'm DJing, when I'm, Turn when I'm, you know, building the energy for a crowd. Like I could just control a whole crowd just with the music. You know what I'm saying? And I could put that energy into there. So having that outlet with Electric Punani with Jasmine always enabled me to like have have that connection. My baby told me don't be cautious. Might overthink, but I can win if I get out my own way. Musically, I always have the Caribbean element in my shit. I just, I feel like I put it through my lens. If I look at the Grammy Best Reggae Album winner, the Marley Family, which is whether it's Steven, Damien, or Ziggy, they have won 10 of those 20 years. Last year, Sting won the Best Reggae Album. So pl- please educate me, because from my perspective, it seems either there isn't enough artists being cultivated in the genre by record executives, or maybe the Marleys are just that damn good. You know what it is, man. It's really for one, the Marleys is, is just that damn good. You feel me? <laughs> you know what I mean? But at the same time, it's like, you know, everything from the Western world or just it, it funnels through this system of oppression or system of racism or whatever you want to call it, it funnels through a system where it's like only this kind of we only acknowledge this kind of thing, especially when it's like from outside of from like the the world you know when it comes to these awards and everything it's like it's very centered around like what works and what worked before you know and granted not to take away from you know any anybody but that's just that's just how it is you know and for for the marlies like they 
always create lit music. Like even their their children, their music is fire. Like everything is lit, and the artists that they work with as well are fire. You know, so at, in that point is like they're a gateway to you know, the Western world is hearing more of that music is just, we don't have a lot of platform. We don't have a lot of platforms that celebrate our accomplishments. We only have like a few of these things, you know, there's Grammys, there's, there's like two or three main awards that people like industry pay attention to. I mean, you want, you want the notoriety, not necessarily the fame, you know, you want respect, so how how do you get one without the other? It's very tricky. Like if you go to a Walmart, how many people are going to stop you and know who you are? You know, there's a point where you want respect, right? Because you don't want disrespect. You feel me? But for me, it's like I just move with love. So it's like I love what I do. I love the people I choose to spend time around. I love creating. I love vibing with people. You know, I love building. I love learning. So I'm not putting myself around nothing that's not in that energy for me. Because I've done that, it has been like a great journey, you know, because there's a lot of opportunities I could have took to do a lot of different things. And I was like, nah, I'm good. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't don't love that. I don't love it. Like, if I'm not happy, like, I'm good. Yeah, when I look at you, I see a guy who's taking advantage of all the signs, skills, talents, and opportunities that were laid out in front of him, and you've utilized those things in your favor. But I think the real skill is recognizing those things and having the discipline to say no and take advantage of those instances. Because you know, if you're 45 years old and you're a dishwasher at McDonald's, no knock on you, maybe you've fallen on hard times and you're rebuilding your life, but maybe you got to recognize the gifts in life that are being presented to you. I don't care if it's Jesus Christ, Allah, Morpheus, whatever higher power you want to fill in the blanks. I think you're born into this world and you're born with a purpose. And I think you're excelling because you can recognize those gifts and you take advantage of it. At least, you know, from my perspective. And I don't know if you gained those skills as a young boy, as a teen. Maybe there was a defining moment in your adulthood where you just took life by the horns and took ownership, but you're doing it. Word. Thank you, man. And it's crazy that your mom didn't really think, oh, my boy can do this for a living until the Beyonce stuff started. Like, if she, how did she not notice, like, my, my boy is so steadfast in what's he, what he wants to do. He's for sure going to be successful. It's a lot of different things, you know. I would say culturally, it's, you know, there's a certain generation that the goal was or is to get the highest form of education to get the best job you know to save and to live the dream whatever that dream may be depending on the culture you know and there's a generation that's steadfast on that and seeing a specific way to do that for me it was doing that, you know, I went to college after high school and, and you know, got a, had a job, all that. But for me, and just, I guess, certain things I went through as a child, just coming up is like, I had this feeling that was like, you must do your music. You must. And that energy for me, it was just like, I just could not, I just had to had to no matter what it was like you must create so i think she kind of felt she seen that like, i like you not you in in this you know what i mean so but 
you know, for a lot of parents, and I would say for me, like Caribbean parents is like, I right, but did you get money? Like you'll make money, but what you'll make money. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, I think for her, really the first time, one of the first times where it was like, besides Besides me DJing, I would DJ and be like, look, you know, I got bread, uh, but I'm still asking for bread still, you know, whatever. <laughs> but I think yeah. around the time when Maxwell, when I did that remix EP, um, his label bought some of the rights to the music so that he could play on tour at, at his shows. Um, you know, young artists at the time or that I'm like hype, I'm like, yeah, yo, give me that bread. So I forgot how much I made, but when it check came through everything. I was like, yo, look, this is what I made off of, you know, that project that I did, da da da. And that's when she was like, oh. She was like, oh. Word. So after that, it was like, yo, yo, you're from Maxwell again? Where am saying? <laughs> yo, me see yeah. this thing with Diddy. If Diddy had a car, you think you would Diddy? I'm like, nah, no. Nah, <laughs> I'm an independent artist. Like, yeah. I don't care about nobody. Like, get out of here. You know what I'm saying? But it, and that, that mind state made it harder because like I was you know money certain things but she always was like still supporting me even though I was you know doing what I was like she's still supporting me you know I feel like even she knew like she knew like nah this drive is going somewhere but it's just that feeling of you know wanting me to get the best education wanting me to you know not have nothing to fall back on that was always a thing you know yeah i'm I'm not gonna lie i'd be the same way like if you were on the on the run tour i'd be like hey play hove the i don't rap off mustafa's renaissance see what he says (laughs) (laughs) i'd probably be calling you every day like play him this play him that (laughs) right but i i keep bringing up mustafa's renaissance which i really like because you had uh you mentioned at the top of the show jesse boykins three on there and i'm about to make a bold statement i was introduced to him when he covered andre 3000's prototype and i thought nice. he did a better version of that song uh, you know i'm gonna die on that hill <laughs> nah you get life on that hill baby <laughs> yeah and he directed your cooked food video too so shout out to the multi oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Boykins. yeah him and uh slick jackson I gotta say, man, I love being on the sideline and watching your your just your career over over a decade at this point. And um, this is the end of the line for you and me because I, right. I know you're a very busy person. So I just I want to give you the floor to plug anything or um, any upcoming projects or what's out right now, man. You, you have the floor. I'm always working on new music, but I've been finally releasing it, as you can see with the um, "Find Your Way Back" remix. Uh, I played a, a Giveon remix that I did on Apple Music recently. I'm gonna put that out soon. But just really getting back into releasing music consistently kind of took my own little sabbatical just to learn new techniques, new things, build, advance, and also unlearn and, you know, becoming a whole new person and just create music from that place. So that's what I've been doing now and just been putting that out. So everything you're hearing is, you know what I'm saying, is uh, from that mind state. So just be prepared for more tings mad tings see me outside yeah yeah and as a master of aesthetics i'm glad that you uh agreed to be on my show because that means you you visually approve of of everything oh yeah you feel me i definitely would not be <laughs> fucked with the show if it wasn't because i'll say what i was doing was i was doing research on dilla and then i was just thinking about Charles Hamilton and I was like oh yeah I remember when he did that whole da, da, da. so then I went through his just catalog again and was listening to those joints because I, I have some of them on my 
laptop. I'm like, yo, he was in a whole different like place. Like, so then I just started researching anything with him talking about it, you know, just to kind of, I was just on some channeling thing right there. I was just kind of like just seeing Dilla from other artist aspect who respect him on that level. So I found your thing that you did and it was just like, oh, this is lit. And then I found some other ones. I might have left comments on there too under Extra Creative House. That's my YouTube. Oh shit. But, I'm um, back. <laughs> yeah, I might have or I might not. I don't even know. But I I went through and I was looking at all of them. I was like, yo, this is fire. I was like, yo, I'm gonna do that one day. I'm like, yo, I wanna do that. Like, yo, I'm I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that. You know what I'm saying? And I came and, to you, man. That's that's divine intervention or something. Yeah. Nah, it's, it's literally <laughs> the gut following your instant. Like I put the time, I put the time into be, not even believing, but knowing who I am, knowing my power, knowing my energy, knowing myself. So it's like, you know, I don't at sometimes I might have to reach out sometimes, but other times it's like, oh nah, if this person is talking about music on this level, this energy, if they're speaking on these musicians, these specific musicians in this capacity, I'm like, oh, that's the kind of that's the kind of person I want to talk to if they fuck with my shit. So it's not me. Re- I, I I can't reach out to you to be like, yo, can you do one on me? It's like the the way that you know your your thing is based. It sounds like you're really into these artists that you're talking to. Like you really know certain things. It's not just googling everything, but it's like you know. It seems like you 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 only fucking with people that you really respect. So it's like if it's meant to be, it's going to be. So let me continue doing my bag and make whatever is supposed to come to me, come to me. And bam, here we at. Here, here we are. You know what I, mean? I, I, I dare anyone to interview you and only mention Beyonce twice. <laughs> I dare anyone to do it. They're not going to. <laughs> That's fire. <laughs>